Welcome back, everybody, to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined, as always, by Dante and Tommy, and this is a part two of sorts to an episode which we released earlier this week, one which we ended by beginning to go over some Jeremy Grant trade scenarios. Ultimately, the episode ended up going far longer than we expected, so we made the decision to split it into two parts and go over the rest of those scenarios in this episode. So, Dante, I know there is a certain scenario you favor that includes the Pacers. Why don't you take it away? Yeah, one trade that sort of caught my eye and something that I would not mind at all is Jeremy Grant for Miles Turner straight up. Maybe you toss in a, a couple second round picks coming the Pistons way uh, by way of the Pacers. But the, the reason that I like this trade um, for the Pistons anyway is because I feel like it gives us a lot of what we're missing and that's size, length, rebounding, rim protection, athleticism, and, and really just the piece that you want to put at the five who can best complement Cade as well as the other players in the starting lineup. Uh, my only issue, and I, I wonder what the two of you think of this, but I don't quite understand how this might make sense for Indiana. And I think a lot of that has to do with like, what do you believe the um, cultural or organizational zeitgeist is over there? It's like, okay, so we saw that they want to trade Levert, Sabonis, and Turner. No, it's one like, of the two. They want to trade one of, one, of, one of Sabonis or Turner. Exactly. And it's like, so are they tearing down or are they shifting course? It's like, what exactly is going on in Indiana and what course do they want to chart for the organization themselves here? And it's like, well, if they really just want to shake things up and trade a good player for another good player in hopes that it can sort of take them to new heights, I understand why they might want Grant because in my opinion, Grant is a more valuable player than Miles Turner straight up. But I just think on the Pistons end, it's like, okay, you get two years younger, you get positionally or more positionally appropriate. You know, you're able to slot someone into the starting lineup who best fits there, whose skill set we desperately, desperately need. And you can maybe just sort of start to put together a more cohesive unit. You know, you can surround Cade with pieces that are complementary to him. So, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we'll see the Grant trade mill sort of pick up some steam here in the coming weeks, in the coming, you know, maybe the, leading up to the trade deadline. But yeah, Miles Turner, that's something to look out for. So we really have to have this discussion on the basis of like on, on the scenario that the Pacers are still looking to kind of pivot and just make some trades, but continue to compete. Certainly an organization mm -hmm. that's been very content with kind of mediocrity of being kind of like uh, the, the fourth, excuse me, the fifth, sixth, seventh seed. I haven't looked at their playoff at their regular season record recently, but they have not been a top team in the East in a long yeah. time. Long Perfect time. place to be. Perfect place to be in yeah, the NBA, right in the middle. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Pistons fans would know about that, though generally it was the lower middle, the higher, you know, the, the low lottery. That was real great. So uh, for the Pacers, I would say this trade would get them out from under the, the, the Turner-Sabanis duo, which they seem to just want to be finished with. Uh, that would move Sabanis to center, would replace... Uh, Turner with a guy who is is more of a, a perimeter dude and can create offense from the perimeter and can help out Sabanis a little bit on defense. And for the Pistons, yeah, you find your your presumptive center of the future. Uh, Turner is a top notch interior defender. There is no denying that. Like he is, he is really an excellent interior defender, uh, switchable also, and conceivable stretch center. Now, the way Turner has been used with the Pacers. Uh, Sabanis handles most of the interior stuff and Turner does, it really just does a lot of spotting up on the, uh, on the perimeter. Now the trouble is that up until this season, he's never been particularly good at it. A guy who 
can do is shooting his open threes at like 35% is more of just the titular floor spacer instead of a guy who's really going to give you threes, uh, who's really going to give you a lot of scoring from there. Uh, useful, but not great. He's also a relatively weak interior scorer has been to this point. Not good rebound, not, not a good rebounder. I mean, his numbers are a little bit deceptive because he's played next to Thaddeus Young and Sabanis for almost his entire career. And those are beefy power forwards who play in the interior. But in terms of contested rebound percentage, and, and these are mostly higher than a disproportionate share versus other centers will be defensive rebounds because he is not in position to rebound offensively uh, as much as the average center. Uh, it's bad. Like he is, he's not good at fighting for rebounds. So you'd really have to hope that he improves as an interior scorer. Certainly he certainly has said, he said recently, he's clearly done with Indiana. I can do way more, a paraphrase, I can do way more than this team has allowed me to do. Uh, so here are your questions for the Pistons in addition to those shortcomings. It does give you an elite interior defensive presence. It does give you a conceivable four spacer if he can keep up this season's performance when he's shooting close to 40%. And uh, that's nice. You have your center of the future. You move Stewart to the bench. Uh, Stewart is not a power forward. It's just, it's not like he's an undersized uh, it's just that undersized center is a power forward. Stewart can switch. He cannot chase guys around the perimeter. Even if he can shoot, he's not quick around the perimeter. Uh, whatever the case. Uh, do you want to pay Turner when by the time, uh, do you want to acquire him when by the time the Pistons are conceivably looking at competing in 2023, you have to pay him again? You could conceivably get him just in, in the offseason then, but you want to pay him like $25 million a year? $25 million is the going rate for a good starter these days. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah. It, it's a it's a lot of money. Maybe he has another gear to show. Maybe not. Um, that's your question. And, and you want to trade for a player who is just not really going to serve much of a purpose on your roster at this point because you're not trying to win. And also, the replacement value at center is very high. Like you can get a center. Basically, any center can play in the NBA who can switch decently well, defend the rim decently well, roll to the basket and catch lobs. And you can pay like not much money for them. You're gonna have to pay Turner a lot. So would I do it? I would say only if there's really nothing better and that there's a lot to be lost. And I think there is by waiting for the off season because teams are going to pay more to have Grant for two postseasons. Um, but I'd rather move him for somebody younger, paid less, and not soon to be a free agent. Yep. The only thing that I would have to add to that is that as far as what the Pacers are looking for, I don't think they'd be interested in Grant because it really doesn't seem like one of those things where they're trying to pivot into you know another middling team. From my, my interpretation of that news, of like Indiana's looking to rebuild and tear down is like they want to tank like for the first time in like 25 years uh, they are willing to stop being a middling team and try to do essentially what the Pistons are doing and I think it'd have to be a team a three-team trade because if that is the case the Pacers are probably looking for the same thing that the Pistons are looking for so that's it, that kind of puts a big wrench in that like I don't know how that goes about and like you said I don't want to with all those issues, I'm not a huge fan of this idea. Like, if we acquired Miles Turner, it would certainly help the Cade Cunningham situation. But uh, I don't know if it's uh, it's the best option on here. So it's not my favorite for sure. Uh, all right, moving on to number three. And I'll just go with this one. I'm uh, it's tempted to put it last, but I'll just go with this one because this would be great. I don't know if it's likely or not. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, this is the Bulls. It really depends on if they decide, okay, we're looking good and we want to go absolutely and utterly full bore right now. And certainly the Bulls were very aggressive in the offseason. So who knows? Maybe it's the case. So this would be Grant for Patrick Williams and Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. is purely a salary matching fodder. 
So uh, for the Bulls, like like I said, if they just want to go full bore, like absolutely full bore, and they say, okay, uh, this will leave us strong at pretty much every position. Uh, well, strong enough. I mean, you've got, I think you have Caruso starting now at at point guard. This will move Zach Levine ostensibly to point guard and uh, uh, Lonzo Ball to shooting guard or whatever you swap those. Lonzo Ball basically just does perimeter playmaking and shoots threes. This kicks DeRozan back down to small forward. He's been playing a lot of power forward. And then you've got Granite Power Forward and Vucevic there at center. That's a strong lineup. It allows you to field, you know, two or three guys who can create offense at any given time. So that would be good for them. Again, Grant would help Vucevic, not super strong guy, uh, not a super strong defender uh, in the interior. For the Pistons, a good prospect. We know Weaver likes him. And and, and Patrick Williams, you know, who knows? Who knows what he has to offer, but he's, he seems to have pretty high upside. Your questions for the Bulls. Grant is not going to score as many points on that team. It's just there's only so much ball to go around. It does mean that they will be able would be able to field a very strong lineup for the playoffs and that they'd have strong scores on there at all times. They'll also be paying Grant about three times what they owe Williams. It depends on how much they want uh, to pay next season in particular when, when Levine becomes eligible for his max extension. Basically, their payroll is going to increase significantly. If they don't care, cool. Chicago's a big market. But it really hinges on how much they like Williams uh, versus what they think they can get out of Grant in the short term. Uh, questions, question marks for the Pistons. This is the only scenario I can think of that has zero question marks for the Pistons. This seems like uh, assuming that Williams can capitalize on that potential. And, uh, you know, I can't think of a downside for the Pistons at all. So would I do this? Yes, this would be, would be my ideal trade scenario. This is the one that I think is probably the most likely to happen just because I think it makes a lot of sense for both teams. Patrick Williams, it, this is really all banking on what you think his upside is. And he was taken top four. He rocketed up uh, draft boards kind of right at the end of that draft cycle. And for good reason. You know, he's looked decent. The problem is he's just shown flashes to this point. And he plays timid, I think, is kind of like what I think of when I see him. And he settles for a lot of mid-range. Like, that's his preferred shot. And his jump shot looks good. Like, he rises up and he shoots it. It's all in the wrist. And it looks good, but I don't know what his upside is. Like, I don't think you're going to get anything close to Jeremy Grant's production for like two years. And that's fine because he's a young player and he's a he's a project and you're banking on, you know, long-term upside. Uh, but I I feel like it's, it's risky. Like, Jeremy Grant is a good player. And for a trade where you're probably not going to get any, if you're going to get any draft capital, it's not going to be good because the Bulls are going to be a good team, especially if you... Uh, give him Jeremy Grant. Uh, it's 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 iffy to me. I, I, again, I think this is probably the likeliest one to happen, and this is a guy that Weaver definitely liked or was definitely heavily rumored to like leading up to that draft. But you know, it's it's iffy to me. Mm-hmm. And then, as far as the Jeremy Grant thing, I, Jeremy Grant is at the very best a third option on this team behind Zach Levine and Demar Derozan. And maybe that's not a role that he really likes, but if he wants to win, that's probably his best chance. Yeah. Uh, just, just worth noting that bulls can't trade a pick. I mean, they have this Portland pick ostensibly incoming. If they get rid of that, then actually I think they could trade that. Nope. Actually they can't not right now, because that would mean they have no pick in this upcoming draft and their 2023 first round pick is going to Orlando from the Vucevic trade. I forgot. Yeah. They yeah. Traded so the, the step in rule picks, right? Yeah. The yeah. step the step in rule, you have to have a pick in you you cannot be without a pick in two consecutive trades uh two consecutive drafts excuse me now you can trade like let's say they have their 2023 outbounds 
you can trade your 2022 on draft night because you have just drafted the player. And then the clock resets and you're looking at the next two seasons. But at this point, no, cannot trade a pick. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I agree with 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 what you guys have said. I I really think Tommy touched on it though very well, and and in that it's probably the likeliest trade to happen because I don't think we as a fan base should undersell Weaver's willingness to go after players that he really likes. And and I know, yeah, like you said, Tommy, it was just rumored how much he liked Pat Will, but it was rumored for a while, and it was rumored from a bunch of different sources. So it's like I'm willing to bet where there's smoke, there's fire. I think the Pistons as an organization are high on 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 Pat Will, and I don't see anything up to this point that would stop them from being high on him. Like, yeah, his ceiling is a question mark, but a lot of uh, the players on this team have question marks uh, for ceilings, right? So it's like, what's adding one more to the mix? And I think it makes a lot of sense for Chicago too. Now, the big question, like you said, Tommy, is this somewhere that Grant wants to be? If he's prioritizing winning, absolutely. If he's prioritizing maximizing his next paycheck, maybe not. Um, so I guess we'll see. But out of all of the ideas that we have proposed or are going to propose, I think this one is probably the likeliest, followed by, yeah, I want to say the Turner one. So, But I do like this trade quite a bit for the Pistons. Yeah, it's worth noting that the Bulls this season uh, actually have been surprisingly strong on defense. Uh, they've got the seventh-ranked defense right now, or tied for sixth, actually, with the Jazz, who are a pretty darn good defensive team. Uh, somehow, Golden State, because they are amazing at everything, have the top defense in the league. Uh, and they also have the number four offense in the league. <laughs> so, you know, that's good for them. So, uh, yeah, this would make the Bulls somewhat stronger offensively. And also makes them better able to weather the loss of one of their star players in the playoffs, because you never know. And right now, if they lose... You know, particularly if DeRozan or Levine goes down. Of course, if Levine goes down, you're screwed. I mean, there's no, you're not going to make it past the second round, most likely. Uh, but let's say you lose DeRozan, you lose Vucevic. Uh, the DeRozan has been very good this season. Uh, then th- this just gives you more padding. So it depends on how highly they think of Williams. Uh, bear in mind that he was the fourth overall pick in what was considered a very weak draft. Uh, you've got a couple of good players in Momoa Ball, and I believe Anthony Edwards will come out of that. And I think they'll be great, very good players. But this was not a strong draft. There is like, yeah, it just, it just wasn't Williams might've been like lower end of the top 10 in, in, uh, in this last draft, which is incredibly strong. Uh, all right, Tommy, you've got Atlanta. Yeah. Before I say that though, interesting connection, Jeremy Grant's father, Harvey Grant, he played in Portland and then, uh, his uncle Horace Grant played for the bulls. So look at that. There's a fun little connection there. He's got something. Uh, yes. And then moving on to what well, is it? Atlanta. Let's see. Oh, I thought I gave that one away. Do you do you have a trade for them? Because I thought we had switched that one to you. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I honestly don't really know it. So here's the thing about the Hawks. Uh, they have a lot of guys uh, forwards, wings. So, I mean, you've got Bogdanovich. You've got Gallinari, who's, of course, expendable. You have DeAndre Hunter, who I believe is injured again. You have Cam Reddish, and you have uh, Kevin Horder, Herter. Who's and, and Herter seems like their long-term guy at uh, shooting guard. And then, of course, you have Trey Young. So a characteristic of Atlanta, they're pretty much screwed on the cap front uh, for like the next three or four seasons, uh, at least three seasons. They're going to have a lot of trouble at signing new guys in free agency. So really, their only way to improve the team is by trade, you know, because you've got a big contract for Trey Young, uh, his extension. 
You've got a pretty big contract for John Collins. Uh, Bogdanovich makes quite a bit of money, though I believe he's only under contract for a couple more seasons after this one. Uh, so, um, I, yeah, trading is really the only way that they're going to be able to substantively improve the team. Now, the question is, are they looking to trade DeAndre Hunter or are they looking to trade uh, Cam Reddish? Those would be the two players in, in to whom the Pistons would be interested. They were taken, I believe, in the same draft. Uh, this would be 2019. Uh, Hunter, I believe, I know people believed he has quite a bit more upside. He has already had two injuries uh, to his right knee, he's only the meniscus, but does that raise questions? And he also just hasn't shown all that much. Neither has Reddish. Uh, Reddish uh, has decent defensive upside, and he's had some hot streaks on offense, but on the whole, has been a pretty inefficient shooter. So I'm not sure how I feel about either of them. Uh, but your trade would be something like Grant and Josh Jackson just to match salaries. Uh, for Reddish and Gallinari, or uh, Reddish and uh, DeAndre Hunter, though I believe Hunter is paid more, so you'd have to throw in something more there. Uh, he's actually certainly paid more. So for the Hawks, a way to get better. Uh, you have uh, now you have a rotation of, uh, excuse me, a starting lineup of Trey Young, Kevin Herter. You have Granite Small forward John Collins and uh, Quinn Capella, and you can kick Bogdanovich back to the bench, which seems to be the best place for him. And then you add for like uh, you ask for like a 2022 lottery protected first. So uh, yeah, the Pistons, whichever one it is, I suspect it would be reddish. I don't think the Hawks are ready to give up on Hunter. You have a young wing who has potential as a scorer and a two-way presence. Your questions about Hawks, how highly they think of reddish. Your questions about the Pistons, how highly they think about reddish. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's what yeah. it boils down to, right? I mean, reddish, yeah. uh, sort of the story of his career is like he was tucked behind Zion and RJ at Duke. And, and I remember people were back in that draft cycle, people were talking about the hidden gem that is Cam Reddish because he just never got a chance to really unleash his full potential on a Duke team that was so loaded. And then, of course, you go to Atlanta where it's like it's the Trey Young show and you sort of wonder, has he just not been given a chance to chance to blossom now? I'm not convinced that that's the case. You know, I do think Reddish has upside. I don't know if his upside has been significantly impaired by his situation, but the fact that he's never been prioritized as a focal point. I think is something to consider. And really it's like the Pistons as an organization are in a spot now where it's like, why don't you swing for the fences with, with the moves that you intend to make. Right. And I, and I, and I think that Cam Reddish does have some untapped potential and I think it could be a beneficial trade for Detroit. Uh, Would Atlanta do it? I don't know. It, like Mike said, it depends on what they think of Cam, but from the Pistons side, this is something that I would absolutely consider. Well, yeah, I I think if, you're Atlanta, you would love this trade because they need a guy who's like a secondary creator who can uh, defend. And then John Collins, he's like their second best player, but he's not an, he doesn't, he's not operating with the ball in his hands. And Jeremy Grant can, I think he would add just another layer to their offense and he would make them a significantly better team. So for me, it's not even the, the big question isn't whether Atlanta should want to do it. I think they should. Um, it should be whether the Pistons want to do it because I know that there's a lot of hype behind Cam Reddish these days, but it's it's another one of those situations where it's flashes. And Jeremy Grant is a good player. And again, I, I'm not advocating that we just trade Grant for the sake of trading him. Like, I think we should trade him if we feel like we're going to get good long-term value out of the return. So I'm, I haven't watched enough of Cam Reddish to say whether I would like to do this trade. Um, but I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides, depending on what you think of Cam Reddish's upside. 
Yeah, the only concern I would have for Atlanta is that they already, I mean, they've already got $122 million or almost $123 million committed. Uh, this counts Bogdanovich's option, maybe player option, maybe he turns that down. But they've, they've got a lot of money committed already for 2023, 2024, uh, when they would have to pay grants. But who knows? Maybe they're fine with that. Maybe they're fine with being a luxury tax team. I can't even, I can't remember if they even did that during the, uh, the Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver. Yeah, uh, that 60 win season. Yeah, that 60 win season yeah, before remember. they before they flamed out against uh, against the Cavaliers two years in a row. Uh, so who knows? And of course, to function that offense, Jeremy Grant can't be quite so much of a ball stopper, but I think in a different system when he's told not to be so much of a ball stopper, it'll work. Uh, with the Pistons, I get the feeling he's coached very well in terms of his shot selection. So yeah, I just, I don't know what to think about, about Cam Reddish. I just really don't know what to think about him, but I agree that this would be a good trade for the Hawks. All right, last one, and this one's definitely a long shot. Um but it was it was it was at least one to consider. So that would be with the Grizzlies for uh, this would be Grant for Desmond Bain uh, and either the Lakers first or the Grizzlies first. They have three first round picks this season, uh, including the Jazz. Uh, the Jazz would be the third one. A lottery protected, of course, because both of these teams kind of yeah you know who knows where uh, where they would finish. So Desmond Bain is a player I thought. I would have liked for the Pistons to have gotten another pick uh, like early in the second round once, once Bain dropped, because I, I thought it was crazy that he dropped into the second round. So he is a very good shooter, very good three-point shooter. who can take motion threes. He can do some attacking off the dribble. He's just the kind of guy that you would love to put next to Cade. Uh, he does have crocodile arms, which is just another way of saying a short wingspan. I believe he's 6'4 and has a 6'2 wingspan. Not good. 6-2 wingspan sucks in general, put it that way. Uh, so though he works hard on defense, he's not very switchable. So, you know, for the Pistons, you get a decent draft pick. Maybe you get two. You know, maybe you get uh, one of those in the Utah pick. And uh, Bain, I think, would be would be a solid offensive pick next to Cade. Uh, the question for the Grizzlies is, um, do they believe in the big three of John Morant, Jeremy Grant, and Jaron Jackson Jr.? Morant, I think, will be great. He's shooting threes well this year. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., I think, is just the prototypical modern center of the future if he can stay healthy. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy who can, uh, you know, when he's when he's playing well, shoot threes, uh, defend the interior at an elite level, and do some attacking off the dribble. And Grant would just fit in as a secondary creator. So, do they believe in that big three? I don't know. Uh, and in terms of the cap, they could just punt until twenty twenty three and have space even with Morant's extension then. Also, I think they really like Bain. You know, he's been playing really well this season. So uh, would I do it as the Pistons, particularly if they can get two first-round picks? Yes. I think the Grizzlies would not. Oh, also, the Pistons wouldn't need to trade. They wouldn't need to take salary back uh, because Memphis is about $16 million under the cap. Yeah, I like Desmond Bain, and he's he's been really solid this season, like as a three-point shooter, and that's exactly the type of player that you need around Cade. Uh, but I agree with you. I feel like the fit is just really solid in Memphis and they have guys who are all about the same age. And I'm not even like, I I don't have like huge concerns about negative wingspan, but Bain is, he's not the biggest guy to begin with. Um, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that one is the likeliest one to happen, but just out of curiosity, which one, like out of like all these trades or these players that we're targeting, which one is your favorite? Like if you could pick which one happens. Bulls. Yeah. I would say the Bulls. Patrick Williams. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I would combine, I would say the Bulls uh, deal there combines what I think is likeliest and what I think is best. 
And so when you combine those two things, it's like, yeah, that's two thumbs up for me because you get to take a swing on Pat Will's upside. You know, I, I for the most part, like 99.9% really trust Weaver as a talent evaluator. And if he was high on Williams, it's like, yeah, I have confidence that Williams can turn into a good player. And also, too, I kind of have a soft spot for the Bulls. You know, I just I like what they're doing. I watched The Last Dance and I liked it a lot, which is kind of crazy for a Pistons fan to say, but what are you going to do? And to get Grant would just give them so many options to be a force in the playoffs. So it's like one of those win-win trades that I think would be beneficial for everybody and likely. So that's probably my favorite deal. And I think I said this earlier, but that's followed closely by the Turner deal. Yeah, interesting. I mean, does the the injury, is that any concern to you? That's a uh, dislocated wrist. I mean, that's that just kind of, that happened. Yeah. It's sort of a. Freak, I thought it was torn ligaments. Sort of a freak thing, though, right? Uh, I don't remember. I thought it. Well, it, it, it dislocated wrist could include torn ligaments. I believe I'd have to look into it, but yeah, yeah no, I, actually, I just I pulled it up. October 29th, uh, out for four to six months due to torn ligaments in his wrist that will require surgery. Mm. Gotcha. I, mm. I I don't know what the what the long term prognosis. I don't think that would be a big deal from what I know about anatomy. Uh, I could be wrong, but that doesn't strike me as kind of like a career altering injury. Yeah, I didn't go to med school, but I can't imagine his career is done. Like his his career trajectory is probably looking about the same. And it's like, yeah, if Weaver thought he'd be good, I have a lot of confidence that he will be good. And then I just, I, I really like it. Because then you're going like full youth movement, like bunch of lottery picks, bunch of guys with a lot of, you know, physical tools. And uh, we'll see how things sort of progress from there. And I think it could be really, really good for both teams. Yeah. My only thing with him is that he does not like to shoot threes. Like he will pass on an open three and, go into the paint and take a take a two, which that's a useful skill if you're like a high volume like star player, but you also need to be willing to shoot threes. So I'm still banking on Anthony Simons. I really hope that that happens. Yeah, maybe. I'm telling you guys, it's just because he's rotting behind CJ. Once he gets that starting role on his team, he's going to explode. You I could promise. be right. You could be right. And like yeah. isn't Detroit really like going right. to the misfit toys, like no, putting no. guys Dante, in? Dante, it's not that I could be right. I am right. <laughs> so about, about Williams, about his injury. Bob Williams' injury was also in his non-shooting hand. That's good. Yeah. yeah. No, he dope. shoots – He like I was watching his film earlier. It, it's all wrist, so I was worried about that. Yeah, yeah that's it was, good. It was left hand. He's a right-handed shooter. Good. So, yeah. yeah you I, guys want to do user-submitted questions now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd like, I'll just reiterate. I, I would go with the Bulls trade, but I'm intrigued by Simons and just the fact that you like him so much leaves me with some fear of missing out. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> You're so passionate, and I, and I just – I want this for you. I want him to. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's a dynamic scorer. He's just he's stuck in this twenty something minute role yeah. on the Blazers. Yeah, no, he could be really great. We'll see what happens. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just one dollar on any NFL game and win a hundred dollars in free bets if either team scores a point. The last zero zero tie in the NFL was actually in nineteen forty three, so I'd say this is a no brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, don't worry. DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. They're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single point. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. 
one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. On to use the submitted questions. Uh, what are the very clear effects of Grant's absence in terms of positive and negative impacts? I'm roster playing recent games. I'll just go for a second. My answer is very quick. Uh, Dwayne Casey can no longer rely on a, on a sort of DeRozan-like presence of I'm going to give you the ball and ask you to score. He actually has to run a flowing offense. Wild. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's what I would say. Uh, I'm going to qualify it as I did before by noting that the Pistons have played the Pacers who played uncharacteristically bad defense and then the Rockets and and the Heat without their you know, two of their three best defenders. So we'll, we'll see how that continues in terms of efficacy as the Pistons start playing better teams again. I think this is going to affect Cade pretty negatively because I think a lot of teams where, you know, you have to balance it out. You have to stop Jeremy Grant. He's a dynamic, dynamic score, but then you also need to uh, put a lot of attention on Cade. And now it's just Cade and a bunch of scrubs who are kind of like rotating in and out. Hamadou <laughs> Diallo. <laughs> that's that's a, that's unnecessarily yeah, not a scrub uh tough, but not not a scrub yeah but, no, but he's, he's, he's not a starter on a good team but it's it's all gonna fall on Cade now I think you're gonna like like I said earlier in this episode I think you're gonna see it this pattern of teams just throwing everything they've got at Cade and making other teams beat them yeah and uh I think that's gonna be rough it's gonna be like another I think it's gonna hurt his stats and probably his rookie of the year campaign uh that's kind of like the the big thing that I think well, of on the flip side, about. though, on the other hand of that argument, it's like he'll have to learn. Sorry, he'll have to learn. Well, that well, that's what I was. That's <laughs> literally what I was going to say. Was that it's like that the, the Grant's absence has created such a vacuum of field goal attempts and productions. It's like, yeah, Cade's got to be the man of the house. He really does, and and like he was the number one overall pick. So if you can't handle a few double teams, what are we doing? Like I know that's tough to ask of a twenty-year-old, but like you were billed as the best prospect to come out of the draft and two three years and that's very hefty praise so right now your team needs you your city needs you you got to step up um tonight a little rough in the scoring department but the game prior he was really good so i don't think while i do agree with you tommy there's going to be a pattern of teams throwing absolutely everything in the kitchen sink at Cade to stop him uh learn from it trial by fire figure it out um, if he can't yeah. figure it out, then he doesn't deserve rookie of the year, quite honestly. Like, I mean, Mobley has been really, really good. And as the three of us have pointed out, he's in a much better situation than Cade is. That being said, Mobley has dealt with adversity in the, um, in the idea that teams have to game plan for him. You know, they're not just leaving him to just score wide open dunk after wide open dunk. Like I've caught a couple Cavs games. Defense is key in on him. He scores anyway, because he's a phenomenal player. So if Cade can't outplay him, he doesn't deserve Rookie of the Year, and he's being given an opportunity to show why he was the number one overall pick. Yeah, I mean Jared Allen and uh, what's his name Darius Garland, like they're playing exceptionally. If you, you've you've watched them, you've seen it. But yeah, no, this is this is a really big ask for any like good player. Like you throw a an all star on a team. Or you put an all-star in Cade's position, they're still going to struggle. No, like, for sure. Everybody's going to be game planning Cade hard because yep. there's just. I mean, we really did play an, a, a lineup where Saban Lee, Hamadou Diallo, Isaiah Stewart. That's that's three non-floor spacers next to Cade, and the thing that you want to give Cade is floor spacing. So there are going to be some rough edits or some rough times ahead for uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you about Mobley. He's in a drastically better situation, but I, I don't feel quite as bad about about the rough times, so to speak. Uh, I think 
I guess we'll see. But I think Cade is a player who's proven that he can adjust pretty quickly and improve pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Very cerebral yeah. and very hard. Yeah, tonight was Oklahoma State all over again. Yeah, but even still, 11 assists, right? It's like he finds ways to be impactful even when he's phased out of portions of the game. And that's just a tremendous, tremendous sign. And it's like, yeah, tonight was the scoring that took a hit, but maybe another night it's another facet of his game that takes a hit. Either way, we need him to continue to be impactful and productive in some way, whether he's facing double or triple teams, whether he's facing the kitchen sink being thrown at him. He's got to figure it out, and I I feel like he can. For sure. It's worth yeah. it's worth noting also. I mean, just Kate is a player you can you can depend upon the team just being better when he's on the court. But mm-hmm. we know that already. All right. Number two, ignoring talent differences, which player archetype from recent drafts would you most like to play uh, pair with Kate going forward? Uh for example, Mobley type and Aiden type, Lamelo type. Uh Tommy, well, I was gonna say you're the big draft guy, but any of us can answer this, but why don't you go first anyway? Uh, out of those three options, just because they're the first ones that come to mind, I think Aiton with a jump shot next to Cade would be a fantastic player. Like, I'm not sold on... This is something that I've been, like, trying to think about recently. Like, do you really want your center to be, like, purely on the perimeter, like, in a five-out offense? No. Uh, I don't think that that's something that you should always want. I think you want a guy who's, like... He has interior presence, and he is fighting for boards because I do think rebounding and just altering shots and having that interior presence is important. But if you do want to create driving lanes, uh, having a guy who can space out to the perimeter uh, and then open up the paint, that is a huge advantage for sure. Somebody dynamic like that. Now, Aiton is a great uh, a great center, but I don't know if his mid-range has come along. So this is really more of a wish list than like a tangible thing. Uh, and then Mobley, he's been a power forward this season. So I know he sounds like what I should be saying, but I don't know if he's like a great option as a five right now. Because I don't know if the physicality and the uh, the interior presence is there. I think he's been great in his role as like a power forward, which I did not expect at all. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the concern for me. So right now, I think the biggest thing that we need, other than shooting, obviously, would be like a great other half of a pick and roll for Cade Cunningham. Because I, I you can see it. He wants to throw lobs, and he's getting into the paint. He's getting to his spots without issue. If, he, if you take away the guys who are both committing to him on a pick and roll and you make one of those guys stick to a vertical lob threat, the pick and roll just got that much deadlier. So that's what I'm looking for right now. Yeah, just, just give me someone tall, man. Honestly, just give me someone <laughs> Somebody tall. Somebody who's tall. Yeah, yeah, the archetype is tall. You know, the archetype is big, (laughs) like somebody who can rebound the basketball, somebody who can play above the rim, somebody who can catch a lob, somebody who's athletic. And honestly, that sounds like a lot of traits, sounds like I'm asking a lot, but I'm really not, especially towards the top of the draft. I feel like there are a number of guys in this year's class who could sort of fill that archetype, who could step into that role on this team and, and really make a positive impact. Now, I don't know if there's anybody that will be in a position to select who can make that Mobley type of impact, but it's exactly what you said, Tommy, that the, the other half of the pick and roll, uh, given Cade's prowess out of that set there is just so essential if we want to improve as a team. And like, yeah, just somebody big, please, for the love of God, draft somebody tall. That's all I'm asking. And I don't ask for much in this life. I really don't. So, yeah, we could just as easily address that in free agency if we wanted to. On oh, the that's true. That's not- true. Yeah, so I wouldn't draft specifically for that fit. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's really only one guy of that archetype, like the one that I described. And I think that's Jalen Duran. And he's not 
even top five on my board right now, just to be clear. Like he's, it's not that I think that we should draft specifically for that role. Uh, we should definitely try to take the best fit, but yeah, no, uh, there, there's not a ton of those guys in this draft. So I wouldn't look to just address that straight through the draft. I think that, I mean, if it comes to talent, I don't think you can turn down a guy like Mobley, of course. And if you have to play him a power forward and just get yourself like a decent floor spacing center, you can maybe do some rim protection. Like, if, you know, as if Stewart is able to to make himself into a good jump shooter and you just go with the Milwaukee model where you have your power forward rolling to the basket and uh, and you just have a center who can shoot. I mean, if you can get a guy as talented as Mobley, obviously, uh, you know, there aren't, you can say about a Mobley type. I mean, who else in the league right now is really quite like him, even at this early stage of his career with his ability to impact a defense in, in all sorts of ways. Uh, obviously he can catch lobs and, and score in the interior and he's done a decent job at shooting threes. Uh, he's the player from the draft class likely to be as good as Cade, though in a different way, because I don't think he'll ever be an offensive initiator. So yeah, if you have that guy and you're confident in his health, of course, and that's that's my main misgiving about Mobley. Obviously, I was like, can he play center? That'd be his ideal position. He's doing fine, huh? to say the least, at, at the forward positions. But the thing with Aiton, Aiton type of player, uh, good but not elite defender, can't shoot threes. Mid range is not enough to space the floor. I mean, it's just and it's very unlikely that somebody's going to be efficient from there. Very few players can. Uh, also, when it comes to, I know that's that's uh, there's. You know, there's the thoughts, can we get Aiton in free agency? Um, I would say no. If he takes enough of a dump to, that the Phoenix doesn't pay him, which seems highly unlikely at this point, then you probably don't want him. And even then, you give him a sub-max offer, and they just might match. So that that's uh, teams who have restricted rights have so much control. Yeah, when I answered with Aiton, it was really more of a wish list, and like this is the baseline, and then you added a few more features. Because really... When I'm thinking about centers, it's like you want a guy who can space the floor, but you're trying to balance that with the inter- the benefits of a, a physical interior guy. And then as far as like if you're trying to find another Mobley in this class, I don't think that there is one. The closest right now would probably be Chet Holmgren, who's able to alter a lot of shots, but he's he's struggling so far this year to shoot. But he's nowhere, doing a lot of nowhere good near as athletic either. Sorry to interrupt. Just nowhere yeah. near as athletic as Mobley. Yeah, that's that's true. He's definitely not. He doesn't have the perimeter defense, uh, but he's still a very very good player. I think he will play his way back into like that top two uh, by the end of the season. It's also a twig right now, and that's a concern. When you're that thin, can you put on enough weight? Because I think center would still be his ideal position. But can you put on yeah. enough weight that you're just not going to get completely just blasted by guys who are way stronger than you are? Isn't he less than 200 pounds? He's at, I think 195 right now. Yeah, crazy at his height, yeah. but like I don't know, bit of a. It's been a while since we've tossed around unicorn, but like just reminds me a little bit of Kristaps, I guess. Just sort of like, uh, I don't know. I, I I've been a big fan of, of of Chet, and I think I I tend to agree with Tommy that I yeah, bit of a shooting slump, but I think he can sort of play himself back into that top two, and I wouldn't be surprised if Weaver takes a good long look at him. I could really see that, and and maybe that is the other half of the pick and roll that we've been looking for. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know about it either. Yeah. We'll see though. We'll see. Yeah, but the uh, intrigue we'll, with Chet is really more the 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 skill set that he has with the ball in his hands. Yeah, because he can move the ball really well. He can see over the defense, and he has great instincts, and he alters a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. Super and then around the rim, player. he's so tall and so long, he just he can finish over pretty much anybody. Very at unique. least at the college level. At the NBA, yeah, that's like the big concern. 
We're going to be doing plenty of talk about the draft, though, in, uh, in upcoming yeah. <laughs> months. Uh, I think we'll save it for that. Uh, so uh, next question, how is Garza take advantage of his minutes, and does he deserve to take some playing time from Lyles? Should Lyles be moved to playing his true power forward spot and Garza to take advantage of the missing size at center? Um, so I, I know that Dante have a lot to say about Garza, but uh, I'll just take a shot at this. Uh, has Garza taken advantage of his minutes? He hasn't gotten many minutes. Here's my uh, opinion about Garza. If he's going to be a positive value player in the NBA, he has to be able to shoot from everywhere. That means that when any space is given to him in the mid-range, he has to be able to shoot that and shoot it well. He needs to be able to shoot the three. I don't think he'll ever be a good role man just because he's very slow and can't jump. He's got the worst vertical of any player on this team, uh, and this team does not have good (laughs) good vertical players. So would I give him some playing time and space of Lyles? Yes. Uh, Lyles is pretty bad as a center, and Garza whatever, if you play him right, if he can make those shots, and if he can take advantage of not if the fact that the defense can't give him any space to do some passing, uh, he stands a decent shot at, at making it worthwhile to give him minutes. Should Lyles be moved back to power forward? I don't like Lyles. Uh, I think, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not athletic. He's not, he's not a good defender. He makes yeah. bad, he makes bad decisions. Uh, he did well tonight, for example, at driving on the net, but, but a lot of the time when he decides to attack a closeout, it doesn't go well. He doesn't pass. I don't like Lyles, but he's a barely uh, he's barely paid above the minimum, and I think he'll be gone next season. Yeah. So so yeah, for now, would I give that to Garza? Yes. I mean, who honestly, I would have said differently earlier in the season, but the way the season has gone, I mean, just give give him the chance, give him the chance. I'd say yes. I uh, if my life goes drastically off course and I do some bad stuff and I end up going to hell, my personal hell will be watching an endless replay of repeats of Trey Lyles pump faking open threes and then driving into the lane because I, he's so bad. Trey Lyles sucks, man. Like, and I know that he's not making a lot, but he still sucks. He just sucks. Power forward center. Doesn't matter. He sucks. And like, listen, Garza is not a perfect player. You don't win college player of the year and then go so late in the draft if you don't have very critical flaws in your game, we all know this. We all understand Garza's physical limitations. But I think what's really important to consider and what I think blends very well with the culture that we're trying to establish here is like Garza plays his ass off, man. Like every time he's on the floor, he looks like his face gets progressively more disfigured. Have you guys noticed that? Like he's always wearing bandages. He's got a fat lip, a black eye. He's bleeding. It's like, man, this guy's just giving his heart and soul for every minute he's on the court. And Lyles just looks like he doesn't care. I don't know if he just got that resting face. He just looks like an uninterested joiner Lucas. If you know what joiner Lucas looks like, he looks like an uninterested joiner Lucas to me. And like, as far as play style is concerned, Garza theoretically, you know, is a, like a decent enough playmaker from that spot. He's got some good vision. And I think a lot of that stems from him being such a focal point in college. Like he was forced to contend with, defenses throwing things at him and then he would have to dish out to the open guy from the low post and he does a decent job at that uh, he hasn't shot the three ball particularly well but I mean we, we we spoke to his dad about how rigorous his three-point shooting uh, training is and I do have confidence that he can at bare minimum be a league average three-point shooter and you know he may very well end up being a decent to good to great three-point shooter from the five and just on the boards he's tall I'm not saying he's got a crazy vertical, but we are so sorely lacking in It's tall. terrible vertical. Terrible. I, terrible vertical, but he's yeah. tall, right? And it's like tall. Isaiah Stewart has a terrible vertical too. 
and he's short. No, not nearly as bad. Not nearly as bad, but he's still short. And it's like Garza, he's just starting from a higher point. He, to me, whether he has a poor vertical or not, he seems to make an impact rebounding the basketball. And yeah, his perimeter defense is god-awful, but sometimes he can bother shots on the way to the basket. And really, like, Lyles is not an all-world defender either, so I just don't understand why you wouldn't give Garza those minutes. I've, I've had enough of Trey Lyles. I really have. I don't know what you feel about this, Tommy, but, like, I've had enough of Lyles. Regardless of what he makes, I would just rather give all those minutes to Luca. I think it depends on the matchup. Like, tonight... It was against uh, Dwayne Dedman, and then I think on the Miami Heat broadcast, they said it was like a guy who'd played like – it was like his second NBA game or something like that. And uh, if you're not playing against a mobile center or, you know, a small ball five, yeah, maybe Luka can play, but it has to be a guy where he's like battling in the paint and it, ha- it has to be done on the ground because Luka, like you said, Mike, his vertical is awful. Yeah. But otherwise, like you can't do it. Like I know Lyles is – bad and he's like hard to watch at times and Lyles is not the most mobile guy himself either and he's not a great vertical piece but he's more mobile than Luca and he's less likely to be abused as a like an individual matchup than Luca is against a mobile five and a lot of fives are mobile these days so it's matchup dependent for me Luca's earned himself more playing time I'll give you that like he's he's been a little better than I thought he'd be but he's it's 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 and then it's it's Lyles playing out of position too. We are just so bad right now in the front <laughs> yeah. court. It's it's hard to say. Like it's it's hard for me to be like, no, Lyles should be the guy getting those minutes at the five. But it's it's just because the other option is Luca, and he is so matchup dependent. And should it so, matter? So right now, it doesn't matter. It, it, it to me, it it does because Luca like against the Rockets, for example, uh, in the clutch. Luca got burned for two straight possessions. One, he just pulled them out a little bit and then drove straight in on him. It's something that we we saw him do a lot of here on the Pistons, but it's just it's gravy uh, for Christian Wood. And then he pulled him out to the three point line and he drilled the three in his face. And that is the problem. No, that uh, happens. Luca Garza. How do you stop? No, how do you how do you stop that if somebody shoots a three in your face? I mean, unless unless you got incredibly long arms. I mean, yeah. like Garza, like he he was still like moving towards Christian Wood when Christian Wood took that shot. At least. It was high. Yeah, I don't know if that's like. No, it wasn't. That's the both. thing. It wasn't even contested. Like no, he was still moving okay. towards it. Maybe I'm remember I'm moving wrong. Yeah, he can't defend in space. But what do you say if if he does get if he does prove himself able to shoot the three of forty percent, for example, and shoot the mid range of fifty percent and do some playmaking as a result? Because then you got to start him or not start him. Sorry, no, you got to play. Not start him. Sorry, you got to play him over Lyles. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. I just. I mean. If he could be like a trailer three-point shooter and just space the floor 40% on volume, yeah, maybe. Can, but we're doing this pop. team rebounding thing, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the more it. he plays, the more disfigured his face is going to be. He's going to be wearing a Jason mask by the end of the season. Yeah, this is his Joker backstory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I'm not even – Do you get, like every time he's on the court, he's progressively more and more beat up. Like that guy bangs in the low post, man. Like he plays hard. And, and on a team as bad as this, with as many problems as we have and as, as tough as it must be to stay motivated – I really appreciate the passion and the, and the grit that he plays with. Honestly, like that, I know that's a small thing. Might not be indicative of like future grandiose success, but I appreciate it. And I would rather watch. No, that you're absolutely I, right. Yeah. yeah, no. And on the bench, he, do you see him cheering? Oh, he goes nuts. Like, he is so into it. Yeah, he's a he great guy. Like, such around, a man. good presence on the bench. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate him for that at the very least. Like he's that is valuable. Yeah, I would say. I just have a lower opinion of Lyles than you do. And 
you might my not see too rock much bottom. of a drop. Yeah, not lower you, than you me. Might, you might my not see too much of a drop. Yeah, but you know, get, no give, lower than me. You know, get, give him, oh. give him, give him significant minutes for a couple of games and see how it goes. And if it's a nightmare, you can always yank him and put Lyles back in his place. Um, I just, I just, uh, I'm not at the point where it's like, oh, you have nothing to lose because you don't want to put out a joke of a product. But you know, at, at this point, it's kind of like, why not? Um, all right, you ready to move on to the next question? Yeah, isn't there just one yeah, more? I think so there's yeah. one more yeah, left. There, right? there are two. There are two more. They're going to be short. I think. All right. What happens to Grant if we draft Buncher or Chet? I don't think Grant will be on the team at the time of the draft. So that's disagree? my answer too. Same, Tommy. Uh, I think Grant would just slide to the small forward at that point if he's still on the team. What in bench? Yeah, but you. Yeah, you bench the deep bay in that case. Yeah, I don't think Grant will be on the team though. Yeah. Uh, all right. And the final one, do you think as Kate gets better in defense's game plan for him? Always, always struggle with double teams. Uh, appreciate the question. Uh, you'll probably notice that we've, uh, we've addressed it already, but, yeah. uh, just to reiterate, uh, yes, I think he'll struggle. I also think that he'll learn from it and, uh, and eventually be able to persevere through it. Mm-hmm. And, and it better myself. Well. Tommy, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, that's real. I mean, it really has more to do with the fact that there are no options on the perimeter right now at times, but that's it. Like Kate is going to, he, he definitely is aware of like his teammates' strengths and weaknesses, and I know he's not going to pass it to somebody he knows isn't going to convert. So that's probably going to be it. He's going to take some tough shots, and he's going to miss some of them, but I don't think it's going to hurt his development. If anything, like you guys have alluded to, maybe it strengthens it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd say ultimately he has the brains, uh, the skill, and ultimately also as he puts on more strength, uh, just the body to do more things. And I, I think ultimately... You know, if it goes as hoped, I think he's a player who could have no real discernible weaknesses. You know, beyond just some some uh, not necessarily important athletic limitations. Definitely agree you, with that. You don't, you, yeah, you don't need Cade to be skying in for for alley oops or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I think that's he's a player who's who's going to be capable of. I mean, you'd be great if he were hyper athletic, but I think even just in his current form, he's a player who, when he's fully developed, is uh, you know could could really play in any situation and do well Mm -hmm. yeah as Cade currently is I'd say he's equipped to deal with just about anything maybe not excel in every single situation but I think he can deal with everything as he improves you know as he rounds into the player that I I think that we all sort of know that he can become he can pretty much excel in any situation so like yeah a player with no discernible weaknesses sounds like a future MVP candidate to me yeah I think he might struggle I mean this is this if he's going to struggle this is the season and uh, in, in which this is the season for him to do it. And I think you will see some struggles, especially because as Tommy said, he has very little in the way of options, but I think it'll be, it'll be a growing experience for him. And I think they'll still continue to contribute positive, uh, positively. All right. Any final thoughts? I'm, I'm, Hopefully I'm, we don't have any more long, long losing streaks. I don't want to break that record this season. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, <laughs> imagine snapping the streak right before we set the franchise record. And then we, break the franchise record with a streak right after this that would be i'm just not emotionally in that place to deal with that i think us talking about it is jinxing it and preventing it from happening so yeah you're let's welcome, end the episode <laughs> yeah let's end it yeah sure i mean i just just a final note that's worth saying the process that those tanks were based upon the old lottery odds that gave you the best chance of getting the number one overall pick if you were the worst team at this point, if the Pistons were to finish last, they would have the same odds. The top three teams all have the same odds at a top three pick. And it would just guarantee them, at worst, the number five pick. Uh, okay, well, that'll be it for this episode. As always, folks, thanks for listening. And we will catch you in the next episode.